Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Today we will be reading from Luke 13, 31-35. Please remain standing. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her broad under her wings, and you were not willing. I see, see your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes, comes when you say, Blessed is one who comes in the name of the Lord. For the word of God, for the people of God. For those of you following along at home, if you've got those breaks in your Bible, this is often known as Jesus weeps over Jerusalem or Jesus laments over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Jesus' lament over Jerusalem here in the scriptures is perhaps one of the saddest stories in the Gospels right up there with Jesus weeping over the death of his friend Lazarus, or him rearing back when Judas leans toward him on the night of his arrest. And he says, Judas, is it with a kiss that you betray the Son of Man? There's sorrow in these stories. There is sadness in these stories because they capture disappointment of the way that things have turned out in spite of a higher vision or in spite of a higher calling. In the case of Lazarus and the story, Jesus intervenes, bringing his friend back from death, using powers that you and I do not have. But in the other two cases, he's more like us suffering things that he cannot or he will not change. Jesus laments over a city that has killed people like him before and seems bent on doing it again. And then on the night of his arrest, he watches the police push Judas aside and then stops his friends from trying to save him by force. No more of this, he says, when one of them pulls out a sword and cuts off the trooper's ear. Of course, we all know that the trooper is not the enemy. The sword is the enemy in the story. Just in case you've missed the point, Jesus is the one who heals his oppressor's ear. And then he holds out his hands for the cuffs, as it were, turning his face towards Jerusalem, towards the city that will ultimately be the source of his death. We find that the things that make us sad 
are not just there to make us sad, but they often scare us. At least when we claim Jesus as our teacher, they scare us because if Jesus is the one that we are to imitate, if Jesus is the one that we are to be like, then the implications are chilling. Open your arms to those who wish to kill you. Heal the pain of someone who comes to arrest you. Stop your friends from treating the armed posse that's come to turn you over to the authorities. Stop your friends from attacking them. There's lots to be sad for in this world. So where do we find the good news? Barbara Brown Taylor, who is a retired preaching professor from Columbia Seminary and religion professor at Piedmont College, talks about where she goes to receive the good news. After all, she says there's so much bad news, we sometimes have to look extra hard to find the good stuff. She says that they show up for her in her twice-weekly newspaper where she lives. In the recent issue that she saw, she learned that the newly reopened Huddle House on Washington Street scored a 100 on its first inspection by the Habersham County Health Department, which, as she notes, brought great tidings of joy to her students who found themselves huddled over books late at night. There was another one that one of the local theaters just received a $5,000 Vibrant Communities grant. And in a recent issue, she read that the Valentine's Day cards that the church made showed up with the trays that the Meals on Wheels delivered to persons in her county. But she also notes that the newspaper is not a perfect place by any means, like reading the arrest reports that you can find that tell stories of famous and infamous criminals from the clever to the not-so-clever But that newspaper, twice weekly that she receives, is the reflection of where she lives, and there is much to be thankful for until you get to the letters to the editor page on page four. And then you are overwhelmed with the smelly pool of venomous enemy thinking, as she described, with letters to the editor that start off with, in light of the total incompetence of fill-in-the-blank, or no one who cares for this great country could possibly vote for fill-in-the-blank, or if so, then get ready to reap the whirlwind of up-and-comings because of the actions of fill-in-the-blank. And oftentimes, these letters to the editor are first names and last initials. Every now and then she'll recognize a name and put two and two together, but 99% of the time we hide behind these anonymous letters. She says they could be anyone from the cop who directs traffic in front of the elementary school or the school bus driver, or maybe it's the rural mail carrier or the woman in front of her at the grocery store or the person sitting next to her in her very pew. And you start to wonder who is the them and who is the us. And you've got to stop 
She says, I have to stop that attitude because when you've succumbed to that us or them, you're either against us or for us. Choose this day whom you will serve kind of rhetoric, and you've already begun to lose. So you fight through the sadness, and you fight through the tears, and you fight through the noise, and you fight through the anger in love, no matter what seems to be going on around us, even when no one else seems to be taking the love that God gives us as a command seriously. Too often we hear Jesus' lament, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that murders its prophets. And we make it about our contemporary culture. Washington, oh Washington, the city that neuters politicians and throws stones at those elected to it. And Jesus is not talking about the politics of the world, but the politics of love. Because Jesus doesn't have a solution for Washington any more than he had a solution for Jerusalem. But there might be words for us when we find ourselves sad. This week I dug up an article from four years ago from the New York Review of Books by one of Marilyn Robinson who wrote Gilead, who wrote Home, a famous author who sat down with the president at the time when they were in town for an event in Iowa City. And they talked about John Ames, the character of the book Gilead, who says things like, grace has a grand laughter in it, and nothing true can be said about God from a point of defense. But the conversation turned out not to be about books. Turned out not to be about characters, it turned out to be a conversation about the human condition. The president asked, why was fear an important topic for you, and how does it connect to some of the other work you have been doing? And Marilyn Robinson, the author, said, contemporary America is full of fear, and fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Contemporary America is full of fear, and fear is not a Christian habit of mind. She said, even if you subtract the word Christian from the word fear, it remains dangerous for a democratic nation because the basis of democracy is the willingness to assume good about other people. She goes on, you have to assume that basically people want to do the right thing. I think you can look around society and see that basically people do the right thing, but when people begin to make conspiracy theories and so on, it makes it seem as if what is apparently good is in fact sinister. This sinister other, she says, is bad under all circumstances. And when it's brought home into our hearts and into our minds, it's as dangerous as a development as we could make as we continue to live out into the world. When we blame others, when we portray others in a negative light, whether they be our neighbors or foreigners or immigrants or people who live a different lifestyle, when we make someone else the villain, instead of taking a look at ourselves, we gloss over the weeping and the sadness of Jesus in Jerusalem. 
Marilyn Robinson goes on, I think one of the things that is true is that many Americans on every side of every issue think that the worst thing you can say is the truest thing. In other words, we're so afraid of the truth that we manipulate it to win an argument. I mean, where would CNN and Fox News be without the American appetite for political talk? Where would Jimmy Kimmel be? Where would Jimmy Fallon be? Where would Stephen Colbert be without the desire for political talk? When we wait for the next words to come out of you-know-who's mouth. We make and fashion our lives around the mistakes or the misgivings of others We forget to take take a look at ourselves and a stock at our own sadness. The president then asked, tell me a little bit about your interest in Christianity as it converges with your concerns about democracy. In other words, where does your role as a novelist fit with Christianity? And she said, I simply believe that people are made in the images of God. And just as we're waiting for her to bring the hammer down and to blame someone else or to blame the next political figurehead or talking head, she says, if you don't believe that we are all made in the image of God, then you are going to be disappointed because we're all created in God's image. And if that's the case, then we lose the need to argue and we lose the need to win because The threat begins with us, with our hearts. If God creates all of us in God's image, then the darkness of another's heart surely must be present in our own heart. It feels a lot better to agree that we can never be too safe than it does to face the possibility that our safety is not the most Christian of our concerns. Jesus never says, I promise you will be safe, but I promise you will be loved. And as he comes to the city that will be his demise, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. As you stand over the hill looking into the city of Jerusalem, if anyone ever had the power or the reason or the authority to go after those stiff-necked people, the religious leaders, it was surely Jesus in this moment who knew where his road was leading. And yet, he did not. He did not invent the conspiracy against him. The others did that. His opponents identified Christ as the problem, the real and present threat to their safety, the manifest source of all their woes. Their certainty was their strength. Jesus' certainty was in his vulnerability, his willingness to love, his willingness to serve, and his willingness to give his life for another. What would it look like if we lived into the sadness? 
what would it look like if we separated ourselves from the amount of influx of news, good and bad, that bombarded us every week? What if we took a moment to weep when Christ was weeping? Two things happened this week. One, Facebook crashed for seven hours. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we survived. But what did we do for seven hours without Facebook? Maybe in those seven hours, it was worth taking time to engage in conversation with our family, with our neighbor, with ourselves, and to realize that the infomania that surrounds us may be helpful, may be good, but it is not godly. And as we're recovering from the worldwide web outages of information on Facebook, more catastrophic and serious events unfolded half the world around us in Christchurch, New Zealand. As yet again, the darkness of the human heart meets us, and we have no words to say to God, but I am sad. Maybe your first book was to turn to social media or to turn to the information sources that we have. Maybe your first inclination was to pray or to cry out to God, how long? Maybe your inclination was to lament over the places where we see Christ at work and where we do not see Christ at work. One act of violence, of fear, can make us sad. But small acts along the way add to the sadness and compound and compound and compound upon our grief, upon our mourning, upon our humanity. So where does Christ meet us? Christ meets us at the tomb of his friend Lazarus when he calls him to come out. Christ meets us in the garden of Gethsemane as he's handed over to his betrayers and his friends try to stop the armed guards coming to arrest him with violence. And instead of meeting violence with violence, Christ heals. And Christ meets us as we cross over into the hardest and most difficult times in our lives. Going to Jerusalem going to the cross, going to suffer. And what does Christ do in those moments? But weeps, weeps with us and weeps for us. When children say, I'm sad, we can tell them to rub some dirt on it. We can say, you'll be fine. Or we can learn to weep with them. And when our neighbor is hurt and when our neighbor is sad, we can tell them to rub some dirt on it to say, it'll be fine, or we can weep with them. I choose the latter, not because it's what Christ would do, but because without the weeping, there can be no laughter. Without the tears, there can be no dancing. Without the mourning, there can be no joy. God makes a way through the tears and through the sadness, through the joy, and through the sorrow, through the laughter, 
and through the pain. God meets us in our sadness and weeps for us. May we turn our hearts to Christ to weep in the places where he is weeping so that we may join with him on the resurrection day when every tear will be wiped from their eye and weeping will be no more. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to leave you with two blessings this morning. The first is my favorite Irish blessing. She knows where it's going. May those who love us, love us. And may those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we may know them by their limping. (laughs) And now receive the real blessing. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again unto our arms. And may the love of God, the peace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ss.com umc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.